Thank you all for being here this day, this cold and wet day. It's good to see you all here. I wasn't sure who would show up when I saw the weather this morning. And I knew that it was winter break week for some of our schools. And, uh, but we're, we're, doing, we're doing well. And it's good to see all of you. And I want to say grace and peace to you from the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come even Christ, our risen and ever-living Lord. Thank you for your, your presence here today. Uh, it's always a joy for me to be with each of you. Two scripture lessons for today as we wrap up this wonderful Word of Life series. The first is from Joshua, back in the Old Testament, right after the first five books, right after the, the Pentateuch comes the book of Joshua. Chapter 24, beginning with verse 14. Joshua 24, beginning with verse 14. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sights. He protected us along the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and turn and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and him we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak in the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, see, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you if you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away to their inheritances. And then there's a gospel lesson for today. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 23, a brief lesson. And I would ask you as you are able to stand for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? You of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. 
They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the word of God for the people of God. may be seated. Thank you. For several weeks now, we've been looking at life words and the opposite of life words, death words oftentimes. And we've talked about the fact and repeated it over and over, and I don't think it can be said too much, words matter. And I've used the old expression before, we've learned, I learned it on the schoolyard in elementary school, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. One of the lies that I have learned along the way that I realize now is not true. Words matter. Things we say to each other can encourage each other and lift one another up. And our words can destroy one another and cut one another and harm one another. Words matter. Some of the life words we've looked at over the last few weeks, we began with love. At the top of any list of life words, God's unconditional love and our call to love one another and our call to love all others, even those who are different than we are. And mercy, we talked about mercy, how God is a merciful God, a God of steadfast love, and how we are called to be merciful to one another. It's not always easy. And we don't always know the burdens that others are carrying. And then we talked about grace, God's unmerited favor extended toward each of us, and how in our Wesleyan tradition we speak of grace in at least three ways, prevenient grace, God's grace at work in our hearts and our lives before we're even aware of it. Pursuing us when we don't even know where those footsteps are coming from. And then we talked about justifying grace when we are entered into a right relationship with God through Jesus the Christ. And then we talked about sanctifying grace, a lifelong process of growth and cleansing and stretching us that our spirits grow stronger day by day. Love, mercy, and grace. And then last week, the life word was trust. I was in the Connect service last week, and I know that Vince did a great job over here. I heard him at 8.30 last Sunday talking about trust and the difference that word makes for us, what it means. And so today, our last life word is obey. And I've had more folks asking about this ahead of time and, and wondering how obey can be a life word. And I'll begin by saying obey can be a great word. Obey is not always a four-letter word. There are many words included in our vocabularies that have fallen on hard times over the last few years or decades. And one of those words is hope. Hope used to be such a strong and confident word. But now if you see somebody in town during the week and say, Will I see you in church on Sunday? They might say, well, I hope so. No, they won't be there. Hope. (laughs) We've taken some of the teeth out of hope. We've taken some of the power out of that word. It doesn't mean what it used to. And there was a time when the word obey had more prominence. And its popularity has fallen in the polls, too, over the last few years. Way back when... And I don't remember exactly when. I think it may have been in the 1939-1940 United Methodist Book of Worship. It may have been the last time the word obey appeared in the wedding vows. 
it's not there. It, um, it has fallen out. And we lean more now in those vows toward mutual accountability and support and encouragement of one another. And some folks still tease about that word and laugh about that word, but it's really a no-show now as far as our official wedding vows go in our tradition. Matter of fact, or so it seems to me, the whole concept of obedience has taken quite a beating of late. It's a concept that is suspect in the mind of a culture whose theme song could well be, I did it my way. I'm inclined to believe that the decline in status of the concept of obedience parallels the decline in trust among persons. We have difficulty often trusting persons in positions of authority. And that lack of trust expresses itself in a lack of obedience. And what is true horizontally is also true vertically, isn't it? We don't trust one another and we oftentimes don't trust God. Once again, lack of trust expresses itself in a lack of obedience. In the Old Testament lesson, that lengthy story we read a moment ago, Joshua has gathered all the tribes of Israel together at Shechem for what amounts to a farewell address on the part of this distinguished leader. It's about time for him to step aside. Joshua calls on the children of Israel to serve the Lord God with sincerity and with faithfulness, to put away the gods, little g gods, that their ancestors worship beyond the river and to trust and to worship the Lord God. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, Joshua said, and this is the choice, isn't it? Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people said, the Lord we will serve, and the Lord we will obey. Some of you may have it in your homes too. We've got a plaque that someone gave to Mickey and to me and it's right inside our front door. And it's that Joshua passage. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's certainly our goal, though we fall short as others do from time to time. That's an important verse. Choose this day. Who is the God of our hearts and our homes? In the Old Testament, the common Hebrew word for obedience literally means to hear. Translators are constantly faced with the problem when they come across that word. Do they translate it to hear or to obey? To hear God's word involves a single response that can be described from three different standpoints, or at least three. First, it's always a word which involves the physical sense of hearing, since God fulfills his purposes in and through human beings. Second, to understand what one hears demands that the hearer respond in faith and trust in God's word and God's action, the connection between hearing and obeying. And third, such response involves the hearer in obedient action to fulfill God's intention for him or for her and their actions in this world. To really hear God's word involves us in an obedient response. In the New Testament, hearing is a response to the gospel, the faith response to the gospel, now understood as a decisive word of God spoken through the incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Paul's talking about the gospel with the Galatians and in response talks about hearing with faith. 
The word translated hearing refers both to that which is heard and to the hearing itself. Paul's apostleship to the Gentiles, and when the word Gentile is used, it means the nations. Anyone literally outside the children of Israel, the nations. Paul's apostleship to the Gentiles is for the bringing about of obedience to the faith. Have we heard the word of God? particularly as it speaks to different issues in our life. And one of those issues, and this is not a way just to sneak this in sometime other than the fall, but one of those issues when it comes to hearing and obedience has to do with our giving and our tithing. Tithing is a thoroughly biblical concept, born in the Old Testament, reaffirmed in the New Testament. Tithing, you recall, the giving of the first 10%, not the leftovers, to the work of God. Has our response been one of obedience based on trust? And is that response indicative of our entire lives? How are we doing and giving our hearts and ourselves as well as our resources to God's work in this world? Are we acting and living in obedience? Eugene Philbrook tells the story of how one summer years ago, he was working his way as a deckhand on a steamboat trying to pay his way through college and the boat took excursion parties on the Penobscot River and Bay and as far east as Bar Harbor. And one day the steamer was entering that harbor through a very thick fog and he was in the engine room and he was watching the engineer at work and he was fascinated by all this. Signals came from the pilot house, slow, stop, reverse, stop, slow ahead. And instantly each order was obeyed, even though he couldn't see where the order was coming from, couldn't see the person giving the orders. And the engineer was in the depths of the ship and could see only a part of the powerful machinery and the narrow walls of the engine room. Mr. Philbrook then left this room and he went upstairs to the pilot house and there he watched the captain who was giving these orders and also steering the ship through the fog and into the harbor, handling the wheel himself, piloting the boat. And a little later, all the passengers were safely landed and everybody got where they were going because of the explicit obedience of the engineer who was way down in that dimly lit dark room down there in the bowels of the ship. Couldn't see the person giving the orders, but was obedient. The consequences of obedience, for the most part, are positive, and the consequences of disobedience are often negative. And that's the pattern throughout Scripture, isn't it? From the Garden of Eden to the visions of John in the book of Revelation. When God's people hear and obey God's word and God's law, there seems to come about in their lives a certain sense of order and direction and well-being. And when God's people don't hear and obey God's word, God's law, difficulty and disorder will often follow. Rudyard Kipling in First Jungle Book writes, Now there are the laws of the jungle, and many and mighty are they, but the head and the hoof of the law and the haunch and the hump is obey. God's law, God's laws are many and mighty, and like the laws of the jungle often Difficult to obey, and the difficulty comes sometimes, or from anyway, in the complexity and in the number of God's laws. There are so many. And I know there are folks who've gone through the Old Testament, they've counted all those laws, and there's some numbers out there. I can't verify that, but they are many, many, many. And it's when we feel overwhelmed by all of these laws. How do we keep up with them? What do they mean for us now? We need to recall 
or I need to recall anyway, a conversation that Jesus had with one of the Pharisees. It's in Matthew 22. Teacher, which commandment is the greatest in the law? This guy's just going to cut to the chase. Lord, we know we've got hundreds, maybe thousands of commandments. Which is the greatest? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. All those Old Testament commandments. And then we think about ten important commandments, the ten commandments. And then we think about in Micah, to love justice, to walk humbly with your God, to be in obedience with God. And down to three, and now Jesus says two, and it's really one, is that when we love God with all that we've got, that involves loving each other as God has loved us. It's hard to separate, hard for me to pull those apart. Could we safely say then that hearing and obeying God's law is always governed by love, love of God and love of neighbor. There's an old story happened in a village in a faraway place long ago, late one Friday afternoon. A rabbi was walking toward his village and he was carrying a bundle on his shoulder of valuable items, valuable to his family. If all goes well, he thought, I will be home before the Sabbath begins. And suddenly he heard a voice crying from the side of the road, Rabbi, please help me. I'm unable to walk. Help me reach the village. And for a moment, there was a great fear that gripped the rabbi's heart. He was just kind of stunned and and paralyzed. If he carried the man, thus obeying the commandment of God, he would have to leave his bundle, for he couldn't carry both. And without the bundle, he could not care adequately for his wife and his children back in his home. And that's a commandment too. Should he carry the man? Or should he carry his family's food back into the village? His indecision lasted for just a moment. How could he leave the man? He set his bundle down and he got the man up and helped him to his feet and lifted him up, the sick man, and he carried him slowly into the village, took the man to the man's home, found him a restful place in the home, made sure he was okay, and then he ran back to where he left his bundle. And as he headed back to the village, he realized for the first time he was breaking the Sabbath by traveling. It was also the first time that he had ever neglected his family. And the rabbi rushed through the village gates and down the street. And he could see faces in all the windows. And he could hear the voices of all the people along the way saying, Can you imagine? Our rabbi is walking around with his bundle on the Sabbath. He is a Sabbath breaker. And in remorse, the rabbi prayed, If I've broken the Sabbath, God, forgive me. And suddenly there was sunshine. Light just filled the entire sky. And the village was awash with light. And the rabbi heard a voice, My dear servant, you put a stranger's needs before your home, before your own. Go home, eat your bread, drink your wine, for I have lengthened the day. And the Sabbath still awaits you. Sometimes... We're called to obey the law of love, and that means breaking some lesser laws or breaking some of the rules that have always been important to us. A more contemporary version of that story having to do with the higher law, the law of love, comes from these selected verses in Psalm 119. Let me, just a couple of verses here. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statute. 
and I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. See, I have longed for your precepts. In your righteousness, Lord, give me life. Hang on to those thoughts for a moment and hear this simple, simple, childlike little story about the law of love and keeping the rules and how sometimes that creates a conflict for us. Little boy, his name was, was Jimmy. That's usually the name of little boys in stories like this. Uh, his name was Jimmy. He always wanted to know what was right and what was wrong in every situation. He's like a little bitty Pharisee. He just wanted to know everything that was right and wrong about everything. And he continually pestered his parents with questions about right and wrong. Some of you may know this child. Some of you may have been this child. No matter who he was with or where they were, sooner or later he was going to ask his parents a question about right and wrong. Daddy would say, I saw some kids eating grapes in the grocery store, and they didn't pay for them when they left. They said they only took a few and were sure no one would miss them. Is that right? His dad said, no, son, that's not right. You should never take anything from a store without paying for it, even something as small as a grape. What these kids did was stealing, and the store owner now has to replace that and pay for everything they took away, and then he'll have to raise his prices on other things. So what they did actually was steal from all of the customers who would be shopping in that store. People who take things without paying or stealing from everyone. It's not right. And so Jimmy, of course, says, I'll try to remember that. And then later on, he asked his mother, is it ever okay to break a rule? And she said, well... Got to think about that. There may be some very rare instances in your life when it's okay to break a rule, when the only loving thing to do would be to break the rule. But those times are very rare, and I don't think you need to worry about that, Jimmy. And he said, I'll have to think about that. And he had almost forgotten the question when the day came that something drastic happened, and he had to, had to make a decision, a life or death decision about that, those rules. It happened one day, Jimmy and his grandpa were out fishing in a boat on the lake. It was a beautiful day. They were drinking their Coca-Colas and, and eating their Cheez-Its and things and just having a big time telling stories. And Jimmy's grandpa was a great storyteller. And Jimmy loved to hear the stories that his grandpa told, especially the fishing stories, the one about the fish he had caught in days past and how every time he told the story, the fish grew a little bit. We know about that. And that's a grandpa's prerogative to increase the size of the fish when you're telling the story. And they were just having the best time And then, suddenly, Jimmy's grandpa clutched his chest, and he fell over in the boat face down. And Jimmy tried to turn him over, tried to see if if he was okay. He was breathing just a little bit. And so here's the dilemma. He had been told to never start the engine in that boat, and he had been told to never pilot that boat, never drive that boat, never take it out. And so what do you do? And he thought about it for just a moment. And he decided he was going to start the engine. And he pulled, and it started on the first crank. And then he said, I've got to figure out how to get this thing to the shore. He'd watched his grandpa a lot and thought he knew how, and he did. He finally got the boat pointed in the right direction, moved toward the shore, pulled up beside the, the deck, the dock, and pulled up on the, on the shore just a little bit, ran to the nearest house in a day before cell phones, and called for help. And help came. And the doctor said they made it. 
few more minutes would have been a different story. Jimmy went to the hospital room later to see his grandpa, and he was a little bit afraid. He um, had disobeyed the rule about driving the boat. But when he walked in the room and grandpa saw his grandson, he said, you did the right thing. You saved my life. You followed the law of love. And he gave him a big hug. It's a simple little story, but on other levels in our life and in our world, sometimes we have to choose between the law of love and the rules as we've always been taught them. When it comes to giving, we're, we're doing the right thing, obeying God's law, obeying God's higher law of love so that God's church might be able to fulfill its mission in a world that so desperately needs what we have to offer. Folk who need to hear the good news. I've been in too many meetings across the years, finance meetings and others, where people are just scratching their heads and there's much consternation and much worry and doubt and fear just kind of grips the whole room. How are we going to make it? Maybe when all else fails, we ought to read the instructions. Giving so that God's work in this community and in our world might continue. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of obedience at its deepest and most important level. And then, I almost forgot, there was a gospel lesson that we read. Jesus was out in the boat with some of his friends, followers, and he was asleep. The storm came up, and when it got so bad that the waves were lapping over into the boat, they woke him up. Lord, don't you care? We're about to perish and Jesus stood up and commanded the wind and the waves to be still and they were and you remember the response of the disciples what sort of man is this even the wind and the waves obey him who is the Lord of our life who calls the shots in our heart what manner of man is this even the wind and the waves obey him I hope that is who it is for you and for me Amen